The last thing you want is for something to go wrong with your plumbing, but it happens a lot. And the last thing you want when there's water spraying all over your kitchen or your toilet is overflowing is looking up reviews on which plumber you should call. So let me save you some time. Call the art of plumbing. They're always on time. They can locate the problem and fix it right away. They even help with solutions to stop any future problems. Save time. Call the art of plumbing today. Welcome, of course, into other people's shoes. Of course, you know I'm your host, Neil Matthews. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's uh, it's not every day you get to sit down with a blogger. In fact, I, I think she is our first blogger, so uh, we'll get to all that in just a moment. But she's also a mom. She's also a wife. She has so much going on with all of those things juggling around up in the air. My next guest gave us some moments today to sit down with us and talk about her life and why her life matters. Welcome in my guest, Jess. How are you, Jess? Uh, so what size shoes do you wear? Seven and a half. Okay, seven and a half. And do you have a certain brand or style you like to wear? Um, well, right now, hey dudes. Now, what are those? I'm not familiar with those. How would I explain it? It's kind of, um, you know what Sanooks are? I've heard of Sanooks. Okay, We've so had a guest kind of like who a has had a uh, past guest who wore Sanooks, if I'm not mistaken. They... They have like the same, they're very light, okay. very lightweight. They are very soft, almost kind of like, you know, what the shoes that an older person would wear, the, okay. like the memory foam in a okay. sense. Um, and they look like boat shoes, like okay. old school boat shoes. Almost like some just, clogging shoes kind of? Um, More like you're going to go sailing. Okay. Those kind of boat shoes. Okay. So. I, I got know. it. Yeah. Okay. I'm not wearing them today. I'm wearing, what am I wearing today? Uh, I think you're wearing some Crocs. I, yeah, I did notice because yep, I'm kind of a shoe true. nut. And so I, I did, I did notice that yeah. it's a really bad habit I have. I look at eyes and then shoes. Huh? So I don't know why I do that when I meet new people. I'm usually smile. So okay. I usually, I, 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 yeah, definitely smile and maybe shoes too. <laughs> That's weird. I'm weird. Next time I'm going to... I am gonna, so weird, though. People people give me a bad time because I'm very weird about that because <laughs> I do I do look at shoes a lot. And um, you didn't get to see the studio. We're, we're recording today out in my living room, so it's kind of... Uh, dining room table, so it's kind of fun today. But uh, the shoe collection is, is upwards of 50. Oh, gosh. So... For a guy, that's impressive. Well, it's kind of embarrassing to admit. And I have to... It's like every time I share it with a guest, I feel like I'm like a part of me is like getting to counsel, you know, like, like you're the counselor and I'm the patient, like, like help me, help me get over this shoe issue. Yeah. I but have. girls are never going to be like that. <laughs> right. They're right. Like, yeah. Well, you know, I probably have double that. <laughs> uh, most girls I say that too, that we've had on or ladies, I should say, uh, that, that we've had on are like, wow, I, I don't know if I have 50. And so, yeah, it's kind of, it's very awkward. Oh, I definitely do. But I also share a lot with my daughter. Okay. So I guess we technically have double. Wow. If you think about it. So I don't, if there's shoes I don't randomly share, missing. I don't share shoes well. I don't really share well. I'm not a real good sharer. Oh. Yeah. It's a bad, bad habit I have. So <laughs> uh, so we talked about uh, you being a blogger and a mom and a wife. Mm -hmm. uh, anything else? Did we miss anything else that's so exciting about you? Hmm. Um, well, I'm a paralegal also. Whoa. Yeah. Weird, huh? So you could so, drop some contracts for us? Um, well, okay. no. I mean, okay. Really. Like, I'm more criminal. So criminal Whoa. law. So okay. I used to work at the DA's office okay. and then with moved Beth, over. With Beth, what's her name? I Beth can't... Heckert. Mm -hmm. yes. yes. She used to shop with me at Macy's. She's, I love her. Nice lady. Yes, yeah. I, I'm very She would partial. buy for her husband and she, I would help her. Oh. Pick out ties yeah, for her husband. So that's great. she probably doesn't remember me, but you know, Oh, she might. You never know. Yeah, that's true. Maybe. I don't know why. <laughs> but uh but anyway, so uh so that's cool. So paralegal, so uh -huh. that has its own little uh bag of excitement, I would imagine. Yeah, 
I mean, mm. it was more exciting at the DA's office versus where I'm at now, but yeah. Okay. Okay. So let's talk about your blog for a minute. How, first off, what are the blogs mainly about? And then uh, how can people go and find them and, and read them? So originally I started blogging about being a step parent. Um, it was new to me being in a blended family and there was a heavy amount of stigma around, um, being a step parent, just the way people thought of them, talked about them, um, and what their involvement was. And so I started writing because I wanted to give a voice to other step parents that were maybe in a similar situation. And then from there, it just kind of, it seemed like the more healing or more things that I went through in life, it kind of expanded. So now it's gone from also talking about that, but also talking about um, things that bring shame primarily onto women, just the heaviness of life, um, the failures and what more or less makes us feel disqualified. So what is one thing that you would feel would disqualify a woman? Oh gosh. Um, or maybe a couple. I mean, <laughs> you're like, oh, narrowing down to one. There's just so, there's so many. I think that we as women generally, and, and I shouldn't even just say women. I, I feel like there's a lot of shame that we as human beings carry. Um, and it comes with failure. I mean, failing at anything. Um, a marriage, for me, a big thing for me was marriage. Um, divorce. Um, abuse. Domestic violence anything like that. Abortion is a big thing I know. And, um, addiction, you know, I, I just recently told someone that I feel like it's easier to admit to having an addiction or to having been in a domestic violence situation or even having um, a criminal history than it would be to admit to being divorced, which is weird. Why? Yeah. Why? Why do you think that is? Why do you think divorce has such a stigma around our our society and culture? Because I, I'll I'll just be honest. I mean, my wife and I have been married. Okay, I'm gonna get in trouble here. 2001. I'm just really bad at math. Really, so this was that's like 19, 19 years. years. Okay, yeah. thank you. See, you're super smart <laughs> when it comes to math. But but 19 years, and and so you know, prior to that, we met in high school, and and you know, we're high school sweethearts and all that, but. I'm hearing more and more from people I interact with, whether it be at work or, you know, you know, whatever the social situation is, that um, we're an anomaly at 19 years. Oh, yeah. Is that is that true in mm -hmm. your experience? I mean, it, well, especially I, in mine. OK. You know, I for me personally, I think that there's I call it as a the question that I, I say is how many? So there's a certain amount, I think, there's a, a quantity that discredits or disvalues or makes someone disqualified. So you can be married and divorced twice, and that's understandable. And it's more understandable if it's for a good reason that they feel. Um, when it goes beyond that and it goes beyond the normal capacity for understanding what's considered an appropriate reason. So like saying, hey, you know what, I cheated and I left my husband and, okay, well, disqualified. You know, or, um, yeah, I just got bored and we fell out of love and I, I wanted to go whatever disqualified. So I feel like that's the society that we're in. A lot of people take the time to form their opinions of you before they get to know you. And so I feel like for me personally, it's more of a, how many, you know, like, well, okay, you did that one time and that's okay. But if it's been more than once that's more of a problem. That's, that's more of a, a makeup. That's more of a, of a characteristic versus an oops. So divorce is in your, your identity in mm -hmm. a sense. Okay. Mm -hmm. Is abortion in your identity as well? For me personally? Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then domestic violence from the sound of it. Yes. Might be also. So, so really three very, we'll say faux pas, subjects. Mm -hmm. It's not like, you know, when you walk up to somebody, like when we just met just now, um, you know, we're meeting through a very mutual friend of ours, Shannon. Mm -hmm. uh, so we'll give Shannon a little shout out. <laughs> I've known Shannon since middle school, so she's more of a sister. She's been on the show previous too. But but it's not like you walk up to them like, hi, um, you know, I'm Jess, I'm a blogger, I'm a mom, I'm a wife, I'm this, I'm that. By the way, I've, I've, um, 
I've, I've had an abortion. Um, mm-hmm. I've been through a domestic violence relationship. Um, I'm also divorced. So do you want to be my friend? <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Well, and, you know, to be quite honest, I didn't mention or admit to an abortion until about a year ago. Um, and it, and I should be careful with that because my husband knows. Um, my children know, actually, and they're teenagers. Um, and there are people in my past that I'm, I have shared when the timing was necessary. My goal is a... It's kind of, it's a messy situation because I don't necessarily agree with abortion. You know, um, I, if I could go back and do it, I don't know what my situation would have been. I know that I was in a very different situation. I was in an abusive home with an abusive father and a bad situation at 16 years old. And so I know fear and I know the um, interaction that I had with the hospital at the time and the way that they kind of pushed me in that direction, very heavily misinformed, very heavily misguided. Um, and, you know, I knew at the time what I was doing was wrong. And it then sped me into attempting suicide, you know, just a couple weeks after. So I, I felt like I ruined my entire life over a very quick decision without all the information. So today... It's important for me to make sure that other girls know that, A, that doesn't have to be your choice. B, there's more information. Definitely do your own legwork. Do, you know, and to know that it's going to far impact you for years to come. Wow. How long did you carry that around? Uh, this, the, well, a year, tell a year ago. Honestly, I was on my way to work and I was talking to God and I I went through this entire thing of where I started listing off everything I'd ever done in my entire life and just saying, please forgive me for this. And, oh, and I forgot about this. And can you please forgive me for this? And, oh, what about this? And all of a sudden this like rush came over me of where he said, I know all that. I was there. Like I was with you. I already knew these happened. I still love you. You're still worthy. You're still have purpose. You know, I, I'm not done with you. And he told me that I needed to write about it. And it was actually when the movie Unplanned came out. It was actually when this whole thing happened. And um, I had this overwhelming urge to go see the movie, even though I knew it was going to spin me into like a really, you know, because it's kind of like a self-induced PTSD in a sense. That movie was hard to watch. I have not seen it, but my wife and... I don't know if my daughter's seen it, but I know my wife has seen it, but it was hard. I mean, it's a pretty intense movie from what I hear. It was, I mean, I was in like knees up to my chest wrapped in the, you know, with my best friend in the movie theater, tears flowing because it was, you know, and it was, and there was some of it that was, I'm guessing more theatrical because at least not for our Valley, because when I was 16, um, it wasn't at Planned Parenthood. It was in Ashland, you know, at a doctor's office and it was, extremely quick, you know, like the next day, you know, and I was maybe four or five weeks. So sometimes that makes me feel better, even though if you really think about it, there's no way to really ever feel better about that. Um, but I also have made it a point to be extremely honest with my children and I want them to know from me, my own faults and what led me to that position, you know, being 16 and sneaking out of my house for the very first time and drinking a very first time and having sex for the very first time all in one night and just kind of making all these mistakes and what led me to those mistakes, what I learned from those mistakes and what I want to make sure that they know so that if they ever find themselves in those positions, because I will never be the mom that thinks that their kid will never be that kid. You know what I mean? Like I, I don't ever want to assume that my kids are going to be perfect. So we've ha- always had very open communication because of all the mistakes that I've made. So how did all those choices define your identity? Identity is a weird topic right now. To For be. you? Oh, yeah. Why is that a weird topic? Because, so I think I mentioned to you the church planting. So yeah, we're yeah, helping yeah. with the church. Right. It's opening up here in White City. And we went through this soul healing And one of the things that they were talking about was identity. And your identity generally comes from your father. And I didn't have a great one. And so I started doing this, like, okay, well, 
Maybe that's why I don't always know like what my identity is or I get confused on it. So I don't, I don't know. I don't even know how to answer that, honestly. Well, the reason why I ask is we're in this series right now, identity, vision, and cost. Mm. Those three things we're kind of centering around. Because in my mind, you know, in order to really have a vision of where you want to go, you got to know who you are mm-hmm. before you can start that journey, right? Right. And before you can begin any great journey, it doesn't matter what you're going, whether you're just going down to Walmart or if you're, you know, going into Medford or if you're going to work, it's a journey sometimes, right? Right, right, right. Hello, right? Especially, you know, being a paralegal, I would imagine you got to consider the cost, mm-hmm. right? What is that going to cost me? And I'm not talking about financial costs. I'm talking about like time costs. Sometimes there's a cost, there's always a cost associated with whatever decisions we make, right? Mm-hmm. At least that's our thought. And so that's why I'm asking, like, your identity is defined by what? I think for me, my identity is, well, I'm learning my identity through God. I feel like right now he's taking me through this healing process, and it's been this last year, and he has taken me through areas of uh, pain, but also healing. And in that healing comes, it's kind of, like a seed is the, the, the only way I can explain it. You know, when the seed's planted, it goes down and it's dark, but that seed cracks in the middle and part of it has to become your roots and part of it pushes through and goes up. And before you can, you know, flourish and become a flower, you are, um, you go through so much and I feel like I've been stressed underground and I'm breaking through and I'm going through all this fighting to get to a point of where I can finally be who God has created me to be. I do know my identity is in helping people. I know that I am made strong and um, I don't know. That's a hard one. Identity it, is a very it's hard okay. one. Yeah, no, yeah. no, it's okay. And, and the reason why I'm saying it, that it's okay, because it really is. Because, by the way, you might be the first <laughs> to come on to say Hey, I really don't know what my identity is, but that's okay. I, I think you kind of have uh, at least a baseline or a foundation. You're mm-hmm. saying, hey, I think my identity is in Christ. Or you're, you're not saying, I think you know your identity oh, yeah, is in Christ. Oh, yeah, that's for right? sure. Because we, we can't think we know something. We got to know we know something. Right. I, I'm sure you agree with that, right? So with that, I'm just curious, like how long, I, I know you said you were 16. We don't need to say, unless you want to, like. That was obviously a little while ago, right? <laughs> yeah. a, little, a couple of years. But but when did you get to the point of, of really saying, this is no longer going to define me? Because it feels like you really did carry the, that baggage around with you, you know? And and what was kind of the breaking point? I know you said, you, you know, you're driving to work, you're listening off all these things, you, you were doing the soul searching thing at church. But But what was the breaking point prior to that for you to say, okay, I'm done with this. So, well, I have always been very open, except for the abortion. Um, Very open about life. Um, But January of last year, I started like the K-Love Challenge, started listening to Christian music, started um, going back to church because I had stopped going to church when I was 16. I was Catholic and stopped going to church, uh, just didn't agree with what being Catholic meant and um, nothing against Catholics just <laughs> no, wasn't for you. Just not for just me. Wasn't yeah. for you. And okay, you know, what's funny, it, right. yeah. yeah. And what's funny about it is they actually believe in a lot of what, what I believe in. It's just, I, I at that time had sinned so heavily that going to someone in person and saying what my sins were was humiliating and I didn't need to help. I didn't need the help humiliating myself. I was already work, you know, as bad as I can get. Um, but, uh, I think I had to remind myself or God had to remind me that my worth was in him and what he had created me to be. And that all of these things that I had done was almost in a sense, what was going to be used for my ministry in my writing. And it was meant to help people. And so once I started realizing that, oh, okay, I've dealt with divorce. I can help someone else who's going through divorce. Oh, I have dealt with abortion. I can help someone who's who's been through that, you know, and you kind of peel back the layers like an onion of all these different things that I've experienced, which is a lot for someone my age, even in this area, you know, 
And instead of allowing those things to shame me and to quiet me, I wanted to use them to kind of empower other people. You know, it's, it's not meant, our hardships and our failures are not meant to keep us down. They're meant to learn from and to expand our, our, our mindsets, expand our growth. And there's a certain point where you finally just say, you know what? It doesn't matter what you say. It matters what he says. And he's already said that I'm forgiven. So why am I allowing myself to, to sit here and suffocate in this any longer? And as soon as that happened in the moment in the car, getting back into church and just kind of reading the Bible and knowing his word and, and you find comfort in that, in his promises of him telling you that over and over and over again, these truths and to the point of where you start believing them and realizing that the world's opinion of you, it doesn't matter. And so, I don't know, it makes you stronger. So you mentioned your dad. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that that wasn't a great relationship, mm-hmm. right? So I have I have found in the, in the little bit of people I've interacted with, you know, that sometimes when they've had a bad relationship with their dad, their relationship with God as a heavenly father or as a father figure is a real struggle. Was that true in your case? So I think one of the things that I've realized is trusting God um, as a father and letting him that it's been difficult to, I, okay, let me, let me re say that. I've never had problems trusting God. God's been the one person that I've always been able to rely on. And I've never had a second guess with my father. It was the exact opposite. So then now kind of navigating and understanding the lies that my earthly father had told me and the truths that our heavenly father has told me and kind of rewiring them in my brain has been difficult, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I think it does because, I, again, I, I think you have to, and I'm, I've been super bad at this in, in areas of my life where I have put you know, a, a male figure who's been in my life, whether it be a pastor, youth leader, you know, even boss, male boss, where I put my dad in their place, if that makes sense, as that authority figure. And I really didn't, like, I, I struggled as a child with my dad as the authority figure. My dad would say, you know, don't wear your hat inside. Well, I'm wearing my hat inside right now, you know, as a ray of rebellion, you know. Right, 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 or, right. Um, you know, I would do the complete opposite whatever my dad said. And so then that authority figure that when that male figure would come along, I would almost take them away and put my dad there and I would have a trouble, hard time submitting and following instructions because of the reason of, I would see my dad there first, not Mm. that person. So I don't know if that was ever true in your case. I think I'm kind of the exact opposite of that. So because I felt like... That's good because I had a lot of (laughs) because of that reason. So hopefully you didn't have that same type of heartache so Uh, no I feel like because I was never good enough for my dad that I feel like I want to overperform for God and I have to remind myself all the time that that he doesn't there's not requirements for him he doesn't see us as this checklist of what we've got to you know add up to and he already knows our shortcomings he already knows what we're going to fall short on and he I don't even remember. I'm huge on quotes. I can't remember what it is right now, of course. But um, there is something where it said, God basically factored in your stupidity into your plan already. Like he knew the stuff that you were going to do and it's going to be okay. Like he, your purpose and your plan and all that, it doesn't change because you've messed up with your earthly parents, or at least in my case, it does, or it did, you know, my dad's passed now. And this last year, I've gone through a lot of forgiveness for this man because he was, I remember good things about him. Like he was a, he was a good guy. He was funny. He had a great laugh. He was handsome in the sense of the word, but he did not have the mental capacity. And even like, um, he took a lot of medication for some illnesses that he had and those messed with him. And so I give him like, a lot of grace in a sense for that, because I don't think that he wanted to be a horrible person. I don't think he wanted to be a bad dad. Um, and so when you get older and you raise your own children and you see 
that they can be turds sometimes, <laughs> you know, like they can test your patience and they can be ungrateful. And, you know, when you think back to how, how I was when I was a teenager, you know, maybe I was a pain in the butt then, you know, maybe I did not listen and I could have done something better, you know, some, some of the things you can see that, okay, like maybe he wasn't a jerk, but then there's some things where like when I would get punished, like he'd cut my hair, like you were not allowed to be pretty. You were not allowed to feel good about yourself. Those things I know were like not okay. So you kind of have to go through like you're, you're, it's like a sifting with flour, you know, like you're okay. Yeah. That's, that's understandable. That's not okay. He would cut your hair. Yeah. That was when you would get in trouble. Mm -hmm. It was a method of punishment. So I have, (laughs) I have two, two, so two for sure. Um, instances of where... So help me out. How many siblings are at home? Are you the... Are you the? I'm the oldest of three siblings. Okay, so you're the oldest. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you should know better because you're the oldest. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the theory anyway, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you're the oldest. And then who's who's underneath you? Boys, two, girls? Two brothers. Two brothers. They are... Um, so I was... I don't care if age doesn't matter to me. So okay. I was born in 79. Okay. My next brother was born in 82. So we're, we're about the same age. Okay. Okay. And then the brother after that was 83 and they're a year apart. Wow. Yeah. Did I, did I miss here? Are you the, so you're the only girl? Only girl. Okay. Do you think that had a part in it at all? So, you know. uh, Not to sound sexist. No, you know, at first, like when I was, so my parents divorced when I was four. Okay. And, um, we moved across, we were in California and we moved to Georgia, my dad and I. And I can't, like, I kind of think about, like, when I'm carrying my pillowcase and I'm walking to the car and I'm, like, waving to my mom, like, not, you know, what did I know it for? I didn't know I was never going to see her again, you know. And I don't know what their interactions were. I know that they were heavily into bad things. Um, But my brother stayed with my mom and I went with my dad to Georgia, the other side of the United States. Where were you guys living at, the family? In uh, San Jose, California. Okay. Wow. So So that is the other side of the country. Yeah. Yeah, Okay. (laughs) Yeah. And so, um, fast forward, I mean, I kind of lived the life for, you know, a few years in Georgia being like my, my grandparents came with us cause my dad was not able to totally care for me himself. And so we lived in a nice neighborhood. We had a pool in the backyard, you know, Sunday with the big old hats and the fancy dresses and the white gloves, you know, like I, I just kind of had it all to myself. Looks like Pollyanna, the movie, maybe. <laughs> I don't know if you know that well, movie I, or not. It was but... kind of like Annie. Like okay, I felt Annie. like, yeah. yeah. Okay. My, I even Fair had enough. the perm to go with it. My grandma, nice. yeah, it was all ridiculous. Right. <laughs> but, um, Pictures say a thousand words <laughs> yeah, in those moments, I'm sure. Awful. Yeah. But I also have memories of that time with my dad where like, he drove drunk and had branches underneath his vehicle. And my grandpa was banging his door down, trying to figure out why he wasn't answering the door, you know? So, and these are things that you remember. I remember him being suicidal and seeing that, you know? So then you think, okay, there's obviously, and as you're older, you're able to piece these together. Whereas as a child, you have no idea what you're really kind of piecing in, you know, together. But then fast forward till I'm 12 and my, my mom comes kind of back into the picture and this is going to sound crazy. She sells my brothers back to my dad for a vehicle. She needed a truck. She sells them or trades them. Trades them. I mean, I don't know how you, like, you can't no, technically I, sell yeah, a I mean, child. I, but... I, I like the trade better. <laughs> that maybe makes your mom sound somewhat not as inhumane. Well, and you got to keep in mind. What year is this? Heavily drug addict. So 12. I was 12. I was born in 79. So what is that? So, 91? So, yeah, I mean, we're we're not talking like 1970, 1980. No, I mean, no. not that that makes any difference, but... Mm-hmm. So then... Oh, my you, goodness. Yeah, on top of all the craziness of that, you've got someone who's been raised basically as an only child. And then in comes these two boys, you know. And up until I was 13, my dad and I were best friends. Like, I thought he hung the moon. Like, he was the coolest. We hung out. We did everything together. He changed definitely around 12 but when we left california at four he had already cut my hair it was too much for him to have to brush and i don't know maybe that's true as a, as a guy having to braid hair and do all that like being, being a guy dad um <laughs> i didn't cut her hair but i was not always very nice Edie. i'm still sorry for the way i pulled your hair when you were <laughs> very yeah. nice yeah i mean and i, get I feel that. bad about that because you would cry 
and it's hard. I mean, it I, is even hard. With, even as a mom brushing a daughter's yeah. hair, it was rough. Yeah. So it was rough. Know, I get it. So I give my them, wife's like I amazing. Yeah. <laughs> she would come home and the ponytail wasn't right. Oh, Dad, did your hair today? Oh, let me let me fix it. So <laughs> I never cut try. it though. Yeah, she good. cut it. My daughter cut hers, but I never cut it. Okay. Yeah. So then at 12, basically, um, my brothers came into the picture. And, you know, I never actually even put this together until right now, which is why I love talking to people. <laughs> That's why we love talking to people. So there you go. Yeah. So maybe that did have something to do with it. But I do I do know it went both ways. So with my brothers, when they got in trouble, he shaved their head. And when I got in trouble, he cut my hair off. So it was more Is like he a military, military guy? No. Okay. But. Okay. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, you can see that that would was. Be- was your grandfather in the military? Grandpa was Navy. So that might be why. Maybe. But my grandpa was like the nicest guy. Yeah, but, you know, grandparents are always nicer than the grandkids. Than, I mean, you know that, that as true. a mom, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you've yeah. probably seen that firsthand. Yeah. I would imagine. Well, I mean, I don't have grandparents, but my husband's dad. Right. Like, so sweet. Sweet as pie. And he always says, like, he was not like that. Right. No, that's, yeah, that's what I'm saying. So I yeah. feel like... Uh, I feel like that, uh, yeah, that's probably the case. So, um, so I, I'm just fascinated by the fact that this is your adolescence. Mm -hmm. This is your growing up. This is the foundation of where you are. And then you make these decisions, right? Mm -hmm. At 16, that really has dramatically changed your life over the last 20 years or so. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And you've been carrying around this weight for so long. And, and again, I I think if you didn't start the blog and start sharing about your life, right. Mm -hmm. And what's happened and being a great, I would imagine a great resource for ladies, giving ladies Mm -hmm. a voice in these tough areas. Let's face it. Nobody wants to talk about abortion. And when Mm -hmm. they do, it's, it's usually a fight. It's not a conversation. It's a fight. Right. Yeah. Domestic violence, nobody ever wants to talk about. We'll throw an 800 number on. Mm -hmm. We'll throw an 800 number on the screen at the end of a a really dramatic show or, you know, that just happened on the show, This Is Us. No, sorry. Uh, A Million Little Things. That was the show where my wife and I were watching. But but my point is, is and then divorce. I mean, no disrespect, Jess. Mm -hmm. That's like the trifecta of life. (laughs) I mean, it's funny... (sighs) The hard part about these things, these hot button issues, is that while they they suffocate the person with the shame and they walk around with it, more times than not, when I share, like if I just have kind of like, I don't want to say the word that I'm thinking of because it would be awful, but... It's okay. Um, you can say it. Like diarrhea of the mouth. Like oh, just we, like oh, word verbal, vomit. Yeah, ever, yeah we call yeah, it a that. word vomit. Okay. Yeah. So that's good too, though. It, I like yeah. diarrhea of the mouth. That sounds more <laughs> grotesque, but yeah. vomit just yeah, sounds no, still a little pleasant. Yeah, little that's PC, probably but, much better. But um, their response to me is always, "How did you turn out so normal with what you've been through?" And I always think that's funny because what is normal? Normal doesn't exist. And I think the part that I love about having, maybe that's what it is. I've fallen in love in a sense with my past. I've almost kind of appreciated it in a weird way because it has given me so much empathy and understanding and always seeing the other side of situations that people just don't care to understand or get to know. So would you say that you really feel like you can walk in other people's shoes because of what you've been through? Absolutely. Show plug, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And I think that's but, what I, I, but, I love about it. But I see that and, and people are probably already going to be laughing or maybe scolding me later. I'll get emails. I'm sure like, <laughs> how could you work your show into her pain? <laughs> well, it's really easy because that's what our show is about. Right. Not your pain, but but walking in someone else's shoes, walking in someone else's perspective, someone else's understanding, right? Mm-hmm. Because what happens if we don't have empathy in this world in your mind? There's judgment and it's it's uneducated and unloving judgment. So I don't know that there could ever be loving judgment. I don't really even know how I guess that would go in. But to me, 
when I meet someone and they, they, have you ever heard of the word sin shock? Sin shock. No, I have not. I, I can imagine what it is, but, but what do you, how do you define sin so, shock? Jamie Ivy wrote a book and I think Jamie Ivy happy hour. She has a podcast called yes. Happy Hour. Yeah. Yes. So she I also know. has a book and I also think it's comes called out Things on You Would Never so Knew. So a little something. side note, go listen to <laughs> Happy Hour. My wife is listening probably right after our show. So go on though. So she talks about sin shock and basically it's when someone comes up to you and they tell you something horrible about themselves and that look on your face, it just kind of takes over. My goal is to never have that with someone. My goal is to meet someone with just so much love and compassion and understanding and empathy that they feel like they're at home and they can tell you anything because I feel like I've always been met with sin shock or that I've even maybe carried sin shock for myself. Like I'm so shocked that I can't share it. You know, I don't know if that makes sense, but... No, I I think it is because I think part of it for you, and, and again, if I'm putting words in your mouth, uh, obviously correct me, but I think part of what I'm hearing you say is, hey, listen, my past is in the past, Mm -hmm. but my past has taught me so many amazing lessons, Mm -hmm. not glorifying what I did. No. By any means, I'm not saying every, everyone, every woman should go out and have an abortion. I'm not saying every woman needs to stay in an abusive relationship. I'm not saying if your marriage is failing, divorce is the only answer. Mm -mm. I don't think you're saying that, but I think what you're doing is whatever hand, if we're playing cards, Hey, (laughs) I got these cards. They're terrible, but I tried to make them work. I couldn't. And now I'm trying to help you understand what a good card is and what a bad card is. Or even what the ramifications of the hand that you, right. What your, what card you play is. So, you know, because there's consequences, right? Well, there is. And there, there's all, and you, you know how they say there's three sides to every story, that, you know, his, hers, and the real story. Yeah, no, I truly believe so, that as well. Yeah. So that's the, kind of the same with feelings and emotions and what we experience. So take, for instance, abortion. You have, you know, the horrible part of it. You have the, the fact of what's happening to the baby. And then you have the the people who have opinions on whether that should be legal, whether it's a woman's body, whatever. Then you also have what happens to the woman that is experiencing this. And a lot of people, and I'm not saying that one's more than the other. I'm not saying that one's right, one's wrong. What I want to say is that the woman still deserves to have the understanding and the compassion of knowing that this is affecting her and it's going to affect her for the rest of her life, whether she admits it now or 20 years from now, you know, you might think that it's no big deal and they have all these hashtags that are crazy, you know, abortion is healthcare and all that kind of stuff. And I worry more about her. I'm not saying that I don't worry about the baby. I want to make sure that's very clear because like I said, I do not agree with abortion. It breaks my heart to think that I've even been through it and it gets me even still to this day. But it's also important that people understand the emotional torment that happens to a woman that's undergone that. And the lies, and I mean, to explain to you how quickly this person talked me into doing this at 16 when I was so young, had no idea, terrified. I had my father out in the emergency room yelling, screaming, causing a scene. <laughs> And in one hand, the emergency doctor totally saved me by telling him that I was still a virgin because she was terrified of what he was going to do to me when we left there. And then handing me a pamphlet and helping me schedule an abortion the very next day at 16. I'm thinking I'm going to be in trouble. My dad's going to kill me. What am I going to do? And right before we had gone in there, he told me I'm going to remove if you're pregnant, I'm taking it out with a coat hanger. Like that was my thought. And to me, I'm thinking, oh my God, what am I going to do? And so you're in this fight or flight mode and you are in this, like, I've got to fix it. I got to fix it. And then you have this intelligent, you know, person that's an adult that's telling you, Hey, I've got a way to fix it. We can do it right. This It's done. It's not a big deal. It's not bad what you're doing because you're only four weeks along, you know? And so you kind of get pushed into this decision at a very impressionable age and in a, in a weird way, it's an out, it's an excuse. It's like, oh, it's, it's totally fixable, but it's not fixable. 
and it's never fixable until, well, I don't think it's ever fixable, honestly. I think it's something that I will always carry with me until the day that, you know, I personally talk to God and I'm sure there's stuff that I will have to work out then still, but I know that for him to ask me to write about it and to talk about it and to share about it is because it needs to be talked about. It needs to be understood that the situation is not so black and white. And I think that's one of the things that's maybe a little different about me is, and I've been told, I'm just a black and white kind of person and you're kind of more of the rainbow. And it is because I feel like every situation is so delicate and so intricate that it can, it can carry so many different points of views and it can affect so many different things in your life. You know, like I felt guilty ever having a child after that. And then to have a child and have a good child. And I watch people who can't get pregnant or people who have lost a child And you feel like, why me? Why do I deserve to have this other chance? You know, or on the other side of it, for a long time, and still even, to be totally honest, I have to retrain my brain to think that something bad's not going to happen to take it away. I know, it's it's weird to think that at some point you'll get paid back for your sin. No, I, I, I hear you on that. I, uh, first off, thank you. Mm-hmm. I know that was hard and challenging and, uh, thank you. Thank you for being so honest and vulnerable. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I think I hear you say again that you had this theology, not in, not found in the Bible, right? not no. found in the Catholic church. Mm-mm. Uh, this is, uh, uh, book of Jess, chapter seven, perhaps <laughs> verse verse seven through yeah. we'll say twenty eight, um, that says, "Hey, if if I sin, God's gonna somehow pay me back." Yep, and it's wrong. And this is the thing is, yeah, because I wonder how many wrong. people have carried that mindset, that theology, and I'm using that word intentionally, mm-hmm. that theology to say, no, that's how God operates. That's how God, you know. And so then, of course, you take that at sixteen. Um, do, do you blame your failed marriage perhaps on, not that you had a failed marriage, but, but well, I did. Okay. I did. So I, it's I, fine. I would it's imagine. Fine. Okay. Yeah, I'm sorry no. I, that that was insensitive, <laughs> but, but I would imagine if divorce happened, maybe in your mind, it felt like a failed marriage so, in some respects. But do you think that was a direct consequence of the abortion? No. Okay. But I do feel like, so I know that God does not punish And so, um, a few years ago, I want to say it's probably like 10 or 11, someone I knew, um, was gay, homosexual and coming out. And the pastor at the time had told me that they would, um, come upon a disease that would make them die because of their sin. And I believed it. Obviously now I don't, but once you, it's kind of like I was telling you, you have to retrain your mind to believe the truths of God's word versus what you've heard or what you you know believed from someone who's lied to you. And when it's someone that's like a father figure, retraining your mind to believe a lie that's actually, or to believe a truth is a lie is very difficult. So, um, now I forgot what I was saying. Believing a believing a lie, right? Yeah. Believing the truth that's a lie. You know, your friend was going to come out and, you know, he's probably going to get, or he or she is going to probably get some, you know, sexually transmitted disease because right. of and their then, choice of homosexuality. Right. Okay. So just, you know, realizing that that's not how it works. But if you, I was getting my nails done the other day and this stuff always kind of comes out in the weirdest spot. And... I was telling her what I told you earlier, that I feel like it's easier to admit to being in an abusive relationship or having a drug addiction or whatever, uh, maybe failed at rehab and relapsed 20 times versus saying I've been married more than three times. I feel like that has less of a, of a stigma. And her exact words to me were, and I remember I, cause I left there crying and just in hysterics because she said to me, did your father teach you how to have a healthy relationship? Did your father teach you how to leave an unhealthy relationship? Like, did your father do these things that you needed a father to do? And I 
had never thought of that before. And so when you put that into play to, he taught me to be fearful. I couldn't come to him when I was in a horrible situation, bad decision. Then I made another bad decision. Then I felt like I had just disappointed God so heavily that I tried to kill myself. And this is, this is the heart. This is probably one of the harder parts. When I attempted suicide, I was serious. I was serious. How I, old were you? 16. It was, okay. it so, was right so after, shortly was after two the, weeks after Shortly the after abortion. the abortion. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I wrote out these letters and I was, I wanted to just be done. Had a plan, knew oh, what yeah. you were going to do. Oh, okay. Yeah. And um, I remember waking up the next morning and I was violently ill and I was so mad and I was so mad at God. I think that's probably the only time in my life I've been mad at him. And I just was like, why wouldn't you take me? You know, you know, the hell that I'm in here. Why are you making me stay here? And I just couldn't understand. And I went to the toilet and I was just throwing up. And my brother came in and asked what was wrong. And I said, just call 911 and call grandma and grandpa. Don't tell dad. Please do not tell dad. And he, the bathroom door and the, and the bedroom door to my dad's were right across the hall. And, um, he of course told my dad, I mean, any kid would, he, he was 14 at the time, terrified. You know, of course you're going to tell your dad. And my dad had him grab a bottle of pills and threw them to me and said, you can't do anything right. Finish it off the right way. And I remember thinking, your dad did yeah. that to you? Yeah. My goodness. So this is the same man that I'm supposed to trust and rely on. And that's supposed to be, you know, my, my one wow. person. And he cuts my hair when I do something wrong, tells me I can't be pretty, tells me, um, made me wear duct tape over my mouth to school one day because I talked too much at school and got him in trouble. Um, Then this, you know. So I ended up leaving, obviously, when I was 17 um, and graduated on my own. Never really, never really had a relationship with my dad after that. But you, I forgot where I was going with that. Well, I'm I'm thinking again. So he throws you the pills and says you you can't even do this right. Right. You know you you have this estranged relationship with him to uh-huh. the point of where there's not only maybe physical abuse, I would imagine. There, maybe not. Was, maybe not hitting. And emotional, but, and he was actually more physically against my brother. Well, right. Well, well that that's why I, what I was going to lead to is is there may not have been like physical like him actually mm-hmm. hitting you and hurting you, but. But I would think there's still physical abuse of him cutting your hair, putting mm-hmm. duct tape on your mouth. Mm-hmm. I mean, that to me is still physical mm-hmm. abuse. It might not leave bruises. Right. But the, obviously there's some emotional damage. There's mm-hmm. some, you know, belittling going on. There's some bullying, which is a hot button word right now. Right. Oh, yeah. You know, um, to me, you had to finally have a breaking point in leaving at 17, which incredible. I mean, I don't know too many 17 year olds that make good decisions at 17. I don't, <laughs> well, do, do you I have mean, a 17 year old it. currently? I do actually. Okay. Well, can you imagine him or her leaving at 17? I and, can. And she's a darn good kid. Okay. Well then that's great. <laughs> but I'm thinking myself at 17, there's no way I could have lived on my own. No I, way. I think it I couldn't even do point, laundry at 17. But see, I did. So I was the mom of the household. I was the mom of my dad. Like I took care of our entire house. I it was my responsibility to do everything in that home. And there's so so up until that point. So he found out about my abortion and he um found out by reading my diary, which then he proceeded to photocopy and put on everyone's windshield at my high school. So there was like more that kind of. I mean, that's that's not abuse in any way, is that? I mean, I'm just wondering. We don't. We I might mean, we need to call Doctor Phil. We now, can laugh about yeah. it, but seriously, like, are you kidding me? No. So when I left, it was finally like that was it, like breaking point done. And so, um, I think the point of what what I was trying to get to was is my dad had showed me everything and not to be, and he had showed me everything that was destructive, and so immediately I left him to a relationship that was abusive. And then immediately I left that relationship to a relationship with somebody else um, where I wasn't even healthy enough to be in any of these relationships. You know, I was going from broken relationship to broken relationship to broken relationship. And I was trying to find something that was going to fill me from here. And I, I say a lot in my writing that I was searching for a head of the table. And I didn't realize until just this last year that God could be the head of that table. I didn't have to have this 
family figure. I could have just been my kids and myself. And so if I could have redone it, it's hard to say that if, if I could redo it, I would redo it because I've learned so much from all the failures and the hurt and the pain, you know, and not just for myself, but even people that I've come into contact with, you know, because even though some of the, the stuff was, you know, the abuse was never my fault, you know, um, and that's one of the other stigmas is when you hear people talk about, oh, well, why didn't she leave him? Or, or why did you stay so long? You don't get it until you've been in it, you know, and it's a, it's a whole different dynamic. And so I think that's why when I say that I love my past in a sense, you have to, you have to come to terms with it and you have to almost, I can't think of the right words. I hate saying embrace it maybe. Yeah. But like in a, in a, not run from it, but really embrace it to the standpoint of I'm saying, Hey, like, it's there. It's who yeah. I am. It's who I but was. It's a gift in a sense. Well, right. Why wouldn't you know? it be a gift? Because now you can really truly help people. Right? right. And I can sit with another woman or I can listen to other people talk about someone else and say like, you know what? You guys don't get it. Like she needs love. She needs understanding. She needs compassion. Like it's not black and white. You can't just your mind and everything that you've gone through is so messed up and so discombobulated or whatever that you, you're not thinking on the right wavelength. You're not healthy. You're not whole. You're broken. And I think there's a big stigma in admitting that you're broken, but the truth is every single person is broken. There's something that someone's dealing with, something that someone's shameful about, something that someone's hiding and they would prefer to never speak of or have anyone else know. And the difference with me is, is I'm trying to get more comfortable with saying, yeah, I have that. I've been there. I've dealt with that. And yeah, it's hard and it hurts and it sucks, but it gets better. And it's not the end. Like you can work through this. It can get better. Well, I think that's the problem, right? Is we as a society, suicide is rampant, right? And I, I can't remember the stats, but Oregon's, I think, in the top 10 in stats as far as suicide goes. Bad. It's bad. It's bad with young people. It's it's even worse with adults. I mean, veterans, you, I mean, you throw mm-hmm. everybody in there. It's, it's just really bad. And I think sometimes, at least my perception, people don't see that there's a way out. That, that they're in this dark room that they can't even see the light out of. And they're like, that's it. I'm in my misery. I'm going to commiserate. I'm going to, and I'm not saying you're wallowing around in in your, you know, pit of despair. Maybe you had a little bit of that, but there was a point where you finally had to say, okay, enough is enough. Mm -hmm. I need to get out. Mm -hmm. I need to get free. And now that you're free, you know what freedom looks like. (laughs) You know what freedom tastes like. Mm -hmm. You know what freedom feels like. You know what all of that feels like. And you're like, I see you, Betty, Julie, Jamie, whoever. Mm-hmm. Um, you can get free from that. Mm-hmm. Here's how I did it. Right. Here's 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 how I did it. And 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 walk out of that. And I think for you, at least what I see you as, is this pioneer and this strong woman to say, listen, I might not have done it right. <laughs> no. I, I might not be perfect. Mm-hmm. But what I am is I'm a child of the king. Mm-hmm. And the king says you can be free. Mm-hmm. And have purpose. And have purpose, right? Yeah. Because now you found that purpose, yeah. right? Which is so important. Right. Absolutely. Good well, stuff. And also, I think, just to remember that with suicide at a young age, you're dealing with hormones. You're dealing with so much, like, the chemical side of it that it's it's harder. I don't want to say it's harder as for an adolescent, but I would assume it would have to be. I don't know, you know, medically. I'm not a doctor, obviously. Um, but they're dealing with so much already that for them to think that what they're going through is not insurmountable is, you know, to them, it's the end of the world. I mean, everything's the end of the world. An F's an end of the world. You know, a boyfriend and a girlfriend breaking up is the end of the world. You add on any kind of physical, mental, emotional abuse, you know, any kind of broken family, and you're up against some serious odds. I want to close with a thought and, and, you know, obviously processes, how you, however you choose to process it, but what message would you send to ladies? Like, um, 
I don't know if you're a sports fan at all, but but I'm a huge sports guy, and and so I imagine like the biggest stadium, you know, in, on the planet, and you're at the 50 yard line of this stadium, right? What message are you gonna send to a stadium full of women? Because again, we don't know how far the show goes. We don't know who's gonna listen to it. We don't know what'll happen to it. We really don't. I mean, we we have stats and we watch that stuff, but we don't know where it's gonna go. We don't know who's gonna download it, but. But what would you say to those ladies out there that may be right where you were? Three words. You're not disqualified. That, to me, that is my own anthem. You're, where you are is not the end. There is more. There is better. And there is nothing that feels greater than understanding that even at your darkest point, God has more and better in store for you. You said you're a quote lady, mm-hmm. quote gal, mm-hmm. quote girl. I like that. I like quotes too. Uh, one I saw, I don't know who said it on. I have to go back and look. So Garrett, maybe you can research me and, and tell me who said this. But um, but if respect is no longer being served. Get away from the table. It's time to leave the table. Uh-huh. Yeah. I actually hung that up at work. And <laughs> it's a great quote. A lot of people didn't <laughs> like that at work. I, I got some looks. Some management was like, hmm, what do you... What do you make of that? And I'm like, what do you make of that? Or make a new table. Get your own table. Yeah. So what do you make of that? When when you hear that quote, you've obviously heard it before. You finished it before I even finished it. So so what do you make of that? And then we'll, we'll really close with that. I actually think about Jesus and the disciples and how he had around his table the most motley crew of misfits. And that's kind of who I want at my table. I want all the people that no one else would ever invite to their dinner party. And that's who I want to sit with and get to know and make sure that they understand that they are so loved and so worthy and so important. I mean, that's kind of, I would, I mean, that's an incredible goal to have. And, you know, again, we don't know each other. We, we know each other through Shannon, which, you know, it's pretty awesome. Uh-huh. Shannon's pretty cool. Yeah. I'm a big fan. <laughs> I'm kind of sort of on the fence right now. <laughs> She's been really mean to me lately. Really? Well, I, I mean, just, she can, I just turned 40 and so she's she's her and I are so I'm going to tell on her right now we are we are a year and 10 days apart so there's a 10 day period from March 10th to March 20th that she literally will blow up my phone like a Christmas tree or like the 4th of July with I'm two years younger I'm two you know and I get all kinds of stuff like that so so that's fun so Shannon you're getting called out on my show it's my show I can call you out but I, I say that because, um, because it's it's this idea that y- you know you came on. We didn't know each other ahead of time. We we barely had. I mean, we traded some text and some dialogue and some email. But and you filled out our questionnaire, which is always great. But but why really did you want to come on and really kind of talk about this message and this idea that you're not disqualified? I think because that is a game changer and it is ultimately a game stopper for a lot of people. Um, I think we've got to remove that orange hazard cone that stops people and let them know that well, they can just kick that right out of the way themselves, you know, and you can just keep plowing through because with, I mean, God opens doors and, and honestly, he opened this door to be totally honest with you. I had wanted to be on a podcast. I had wanted to speak and get my story out and kind of just let people know my truth. Um, and I had crossed it off a list and I, and I don't know why I just kind of got to this point of where I was like, I don't even need to tell my story to people. I don't need them to hear it. Like they'll read it or whatever. And we'll just, doesn't matter. My worth is not in being heard. My worth is in God. And um, when she reached out to me, I was like, okay, like this is cool. And it's scary because I'll be honest. I have no idea what you're going to ask me. And she really doesn't. <laughs> so for future guests, how many notes did we have today? Yeah, none. None. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know if you can hear my stomach shaking yeah. from like some of the questions. Yeah. Cause you know, and I yeah. did tell you I'm an yeah. open book and you I did. will be as you honest did. as I possibly can. And I think you can. have been. Yeah. yeah. So it's not so, yeah. easy, but I kind of wanted to face that fear. Yeah. And if it means that it helps even one person to know that you're not disqualified and yeah. that you can, you still have purpose. You still have a calling. Like none of that changes ever. Right. Depending on whatever failures you're made. Right. Then that's, that's, good enough for me. Yeah. People always ask us, um, you know, how many downloads do you get? 
and I, I, I'm changing my answer thanks to a past guest. So shout out, we had a lot of shout outs today, but shout out to our, our former guest, uh, Dr. Michelle, great episode, go out and check that out. But, um, but I started telling her after I recorded with her, I said, you know, I'm interested in the one, mm-hmm. the one download. Well, it's kind of like the lost shepherd. Right. I, I don't, I don't care if it's 50 million. I don't care if it's 17,000, you know, I know that's a less number, but I'm good at math promise. <laughs> but, but my point is, is I'm interested in the one, mm-hmm. the one download, mm-hmm. the one person that downloads this. It's like, you know what? I, I needed to hear that. That sounded interesting. I, I'm going to go listen to that. And then not only did they listen but action was taken and they, they changed the course of their life and to have that power. So how can people read the blog? Tell us about that while I set up our, 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 our little game that we play at the end. So it's totallyjustifiable.com and uh, it's on Instagram, Facebook, all of them. It's exactly the same name. And there, like I said, there is a variety of everything that you can possibly ever want to know about me or just in general, if you are struggling with anything, very easy to find topics. Sounds great. We should probably have you be our topic person. (laughs) (laughs) So we play this game at the end of our show, if my phone will work properly. Um, It's a game we like to call Senseless. And so what that is, is we have uh, six random questions that we ask. And there we go. And so we're going to roll the dice. We forgot our dice so we're going to use thank you google roll a dice uh you can google that and it and it pops up so uh here we go so i'm going to roll for you on your behalf and you got a number one which says um how do you want others to see you accepting accepting Mm -hmm. okay how so I want people to feel like they can come to me and I will never judge them. That I will always just accept them exactly how they are. Broken, whatever. Even if it's that you're hurting me, I'm going to love you and just accept you exactly as you are. Okay. Well, couldn't have said it better myself. (laughs) Thank you so much, Jess, for coming on. We appreciate it. Um, So with that, let's kind of end our show. Kind of great to sit with someone face-to-face. We haven't done that in a little while. But guys, uh, can you do me a favor? I don't ask too many favors. But can you go out and check out what she's doing? Can you go out and read some of her blogs? I just think what she's saying today is something that we need to really start examining in our lives. Of how we accept people. It's not our job to reject. So there's my soapbox. I'll get off of it. But guys, uh, just remember... When you walk in other people's shoes, you really do get a different perspective on life. On behalf of Garrett and myself, we want to invite you right back here next week as we try on other people's shoes. Thank you so much for listening to Other People's Shoes. Of course, you know I'm your host, Neil Matthews. Thank you so much again for listening. Thank my guest, Jess. She did a fantastic job. Go out and check out her blog. We, of course, have linked that in our show notes. And uh, we really want to encourage you to go check that out. Good stuff there. Speaking of good stuff, here's a little sneak preview of next week's guest. To have my mom sit there at my sentencing was horrific. It was terrible. And, um, but since then, we've done a lot of healing, and I've been um, really honest with her about how I'm living life now, and I'm watching my whole family change, and people around me change, and That is right. Stay tuned till next Wednesday. We're going to be sitting down with a young lady who affectionately calls herself the Waymaker. Now, what does that mean? Well, you're going to have to come back next Wednesday to find out for sure. Speaking of Wednesdays, that is when our show comes out. So if you'd like to hear past, present, and future episodes of our show, that can always be done at OPSpodcast.com. It's a great place to bookmark, great place to put on your favorites on your phone, sticky note next to the mirror, whatever it takes. Come back, join us next Wednesday. Speaking of joining us, if you'd like to join us financially in the word of getting out this empathy, this message of other people's shoes, walking in someone else's perspective, you, of course, can financially partner with us. We have linked our PayPal account down below in our show notes, so feel free to give. And of course, if you do, we will make sure that you get a tax deductible donation because we are a nonprofit organization. 
Speaking of questions, comments, feedback, things like that, you, of course, can text or call in either one. It is a text and voicemail-friendly line, and that is 203-548-7463. That's 203-548-SHOE or 7463, whichever you prefer. Speaking of things you prefer, if you're on social media, of course, feel free to like us, follow us, and tweet us under OPS Podcast Show. That, of course, is our name on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We are on all three. And on behalf of Garrett and myself, we, of course, want to wish you a great week, a blessed week. I know it's been a little crazy. Things have been just turmoil after turmoil. But try to find the rainbow. Try to find the sunshine somewhere. Because after all, Remember this, when you walk in other people's shoes, you really do get a different perspective on life. Hope you can join us back here, right back here on Wednesday, as we try on other people's shoes.